This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. This is Christopher Sabella, writer of Demonic, and welcome back in Heartthrob. And you've been waiting for effing ever to listen to Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt, and now you are. Sort of break it, break it down like this. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area. And let me tell you, it is a mess in here. It is our pleasure to welcome you back to the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast episode 260, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, August 10th. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And during my time away from the podcast, I learned there was a whole world out there that doesn't know the first thing about comics. And for some reason, a large contingent of them loved the Suicide Squad. Hey, 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 hey. What the hell? Look, man, those movies are for everybody. Oh, my God. My name is Joe Patrick. You can find me at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And, of course, you can follow this damn show at 2 Nerd, also on the Twitter. During my sabbatical, I got some knitting done. I sang to some seniors in the hospital, and I learned to love the outdoors before Matt brought me kicking and screaming back into our underground lair. You made this happen. In this week's episode, you'll hear reviews of Superwoman number one and Deathstroke Rebirth number one. After that, we'll review ten more of this week's comics while we try and get back into fight weight during the ludicrous speed round. Then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where some of our more dangerous scrolls and tomes need to be put back in order. And we're going to talk about some of next week's comics. And finally, it's time for the all-new, all-different Ask a Nerd, where we'll be the nerds asking the questions of a nerd. Um, you get it. Don't. <laughs> Here's how it works. Friend of the show and comic creator Christopher Sabella will be here, and we'll be asking him some questions. But... Before we start whipping Second Amendment people into a frenzy with our anti-Harley Quinn rhetoric, let's take a moment to welcome you nerds back for our 260th episode. I promise we won't stay away this long again. All right, now, you better let this rip because the people are counting on you. It's true. Now let's talk about this! Let's get Completely unintelligible. I don't think you said anything. <laughs> Item, rebirth results. Did we find out who the father is yet? I'm sorry, Matt, you're not the father. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> While we were taking a break, the DC Rebirth Initiative hit the industry like a tidal wave, flooding digital and physical racks with new characters, new takes on familiar characters, familiar takes on familiar characters by new creators, and new takes and on familiar characters and unfamiliar characters with new takes. And familiar <laughs> takes on familiar characters by familiar creators with new number ones. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> now the first sales numbers are starting to roll in and it seems like good news for DC. But Joe, you may be asking, weren't all of the Rebirth books returnable? Yes, and we'll get to that. For now, here's what we know. According to data released by Diamond Comics Distributors, DC has claimed the top spot in terms of market share for the first time since September 2013. You may recall that was Villains Month when they put out Four uh, times as many comics. Oh my god! And like they had like the it was the crazy like uh, lenticular covers. Yeah, right. God, yeah, those were dumb. DC. Like everybody that paid a hundred bucks for those on eBay is kicking themselves right now. <laughs> DC's rebirth titles accounted for eight of the top ten selling comic books in July, led by Justice League number one, 
Marvel hit the top 10 only with numbers three and four of Civil War 2. DC managed this despite the fact that they only put out 63 comics versus 97 from Marvel. So it seems like DC Rebirth was a smart gamble for the publisher financially, but how about creatively? That's the question, Matt. I've been trying to read at least the first couple issues of all of them just to get a sense of where the DCU is heading, and I'm kind of enjoying myself. Have you been able to keep up at all? I Okay, I did the same thing, where I've been reading the first couple issues of just about everything. Even ones that I didn't care about before, yeah. like Red Hood. And I'm not going to say that they are all fantastic. They're not all fantastic. But when was the last time you decided you need to read the first couple issues of every DC offering that was out there? 2011. Exactly. I mean, like, maybe it is a ploy. Yes, it's marketing and they restarted stuff, but what else were they going to do? Where else do they go? Right. With the mess that they had, I think they had to do this. And so far, I'm seeing success. I think that the tone of the DC books in general right now is um, I appreciate it more than I was during the new 52. And I'm going to get into it in my main review. We're going to talk a lot about tone and the, you know, they're playing fast and loose with continuity. Uh, They have not flushed the new 52, which is what we initially thought was going to happen. Definitely not. It's still the same universe. There's just something awry about it. And the characters are figuring it out. Things just seem a little bit brighter. Yeah. Right? No, the whole and tone of the universe seems to have been lifted. I like it. I don't like every book, but I like what I'm seeing in a lot of places so far. Absolutely. I And I think the good news here, one of the things you talked about earlier, they shipped 63 titles to Marvel's 97 and they won the market share. Yeah. Now, now that could be returnability. We'll right, get into the, that. The, but did you have more? Okay. it is less comics with higher quality and a lower price. Lower price. Yeah. $2.99, man. Yep. I think there's something to be said for that. Right. Now, like you pointed out, the question of returnability does put an asterisk next to all of DC's sales numbers. So I checked in. I actually did my journalistic duty. Wow. And I checked in with some retailer pals for their perspective. First up, I talked to Randy Lander, who is one of the owners of Rogue's Gallery Comics and Games in Round Rock, Texas. He said... He went too conservative with his orders. His managers tried to talk him into higher numbers, but he was suspicious. What a f- manager. After, no. yeah. Idiots. Uh, after the DCYOU uh, little soft relaunch kind of petered out, he was very cautious. And he sold out of almost everything on day one for the first three weeks of DC Rebirth. So he overcorrected. The, you have to try to find your ceiling, right? Sure, you order sure. too few, then you overcorrect and order too many. And I'm not talking smack about dude, but they're returnable. Go nuts. Right. It. <laughs> I mean, that's still money. The, the thing about returnability is that, yeah, right. it's great, but you still have to write that check. Right. I get it. And so you're floating diamond and DC a short term loan. Sure. More or less. Know? Yeah. So like, why take the risk if you don't think it's going to pay off? But the caveat there is that while there are a lot of lapsed fans returning, which was DC's main goal, I think. Right. They are bleeding readers from image. See, you know, it's funny. Not Marvel. I hired two guys in the kitchen where I work at, both of which are DC nerds. Strangely, they are both new 52 DC nerds. There are a lot of people out there that came into comics with the new 52. And they're super skeptical about this. Yeah. Like, and like we were talking about Green Arrow just the other day. And it's like, I really like it. Honestly, it's been a long time since I've enjoyed Green Arrow. I'm not going to say it's excellent, 
but it is markedly better, and I'm enjoying I it. I enjoy Green Arrow. And they were yeah. both like, Meh, I like the Arrow TV show, and I, I kind of like it. I was like, are you serious? And I fired them both, and one of them burned <laughs> very badly. And I, that's, I think, the balance they're trying to strike, is right. that they're trying to... to make their universe palatable to guys like you and me right. that were turned off by the new 52 and guys like your uh, meatball manufacturers and some of the guys that I meatballers. spoke to. Meatballers. They, yes. Meatballers. Yes. And some of the guys I talked to at Legend who came into comics with a new 52 and don't understand why everyone's complaining all the time. Right. Occasional guest host Dave DeMarco, who is one of the co-owners at Legend Comics and Coffee, said that people seem to really be enjoying DC Rebirth and they think that it's injected some new life into DC and he's adding more and more subscription requests for DC books every Wednesday. Did he finish his quote with farty poop fart? Farty poop fart. <laughs> when they get the list every week of all the books that they need to add for pull files. Right. He says the vast majority of them are DC titles. I think that's happening everywhere. But he points out that. This might not last. No. And he remembers that the new 52 was also a huge success sure. right up until the point that it wasn't. Right. Jason, the co-owner of Legend Comics and Coffee, piped up and said that it was about 18 months that the new 52 kind of buoyed readership. Yeah. And then the drop off started to happen. We'll check back and with issue 12 and see where <laughs> we're at, basically. So I think the tone right now for from retailers is cautious optimism. Mm hmm. Legend went very big and they only sold out of a couple of things. But like you said, it's returnable. So, so who cares? Well, I mean, we'll see when the final numbers come in. But right now I am saying success. It seems like it Early was, success. this was a good move. People seem happy about it. And honestly, we went in the new 52 grumpy about it. And no, we I think I think if you look back at the tape. No, we were grumpy. We I were, think you were more excited than I was. I think we were upset that they were rebooting. But I think that once we got a sense of what the books were going to be, we were kind of excited to check them out. Right. And I remember in those first few episodes that we read all of the books mm -hmm. for that month, we were pretty happy overall. That was when we were singing A Whole New World. Right? A Whole New World. <laughs> we talked about this long enough. I, good on DC so far. We'll see. We'll check in with 12 issues. We'll see where they're at. But right now, I'm having fun again. Me too. Let's stay with DC News. Joe Patrick, there are some people out there that hated the Suicide Squad so much, they're taking DC to court. <laughs> I know. The squad may be enjoying some box office success at the moment, but doesn't seem to be shielding the film from criticism. And fans of the production might be the harshest critics of all. Reddit user Black Panther 2016 Pants Come Down 69. That's has, how you know it's serious because it came from Reddit. <laughs> has threatened to begin legal action against Warner Brothers and DC Comics, claiming that teaser scenes of the Joker in trailers did not make the final film, which amounts to unjust and false advertising. The disgruntled fan argued in a post on Reddit. He should receive a refund after driving 300 miles to what London. What an asshole. Where does this jackass live? <laughs> to watch, quote, specific scenes explicitly advertised in the TV ads. I'm guessing he's Are from North. Are you Scottish? I guess <laughs> he drove in 300 miles. <laughs> Only to leave feeling ripped off. He further stated that his lawyer brother... <laughs> His quote-unquote lawyer brother. Uh, that's better than I got a friend that's a lawyer. You're going to hear from me. It's like, my brother's a lawyer, asshole. 
In his ridiculous post, Black Panther 2016 Pants Come Down 69 stated, quote, movie trailers are like food menus. They give you a preview of what you're going to get. You look at the McDonald's menu. Well, this guy sounds like a genius. Yeah. You look at McDonald's menu and you choose to get your favorite. They spell it with a U. British. They're British. Burger presented in a nice picture with pickles, chicken, et cetera, et cetera. No, no, no. This is what this is where oh. <laughs> mild cheese, oh, which is your favorite. In fact, that's the only reason you're getting this burger because you love mild cheese. What does that mean? <laughs> you use your hard work money to pay for this burger. You get the burger only to find out that it isn't the burger you ordered. Yes, it has pickles and chicken. I thought it was a burger. Yeah, back up. But it doesn't have mild cheese. It has regular cheese, Matt. Okay, time out. Regular cheese. Is there something about McDonald's and Great Britain that I don't know about? <laughs> this is weird. <laughs> he goes on a screen that he drove 300 miles, yada, yada, yada. To uh, see explicit Joker torture porn scenes that were cut <laughs> from the movie. In the end, he says... Uh, hey, check out, it ends with him screaming, hey, check out our preview. This will all be in our movie. Come watch it on the 5th, comma, all lies. <laughs> <laughs> this utter horse follows hot on the heels of another group of fans petitioning to shut down Rotten Tomatoes. Ridiculous. Because Lord knows it's their fault that critics <laughs> right. the movie for daring to include negative reviews about the film in their aggregate rating. Okay, that is tantamount to the Nazis burning books they didn't like because it, burned, it went against their ideals. The First no, of all, it's like it's like threatening to burn down the Omaha World Herald yeah. because they reported that Pete Ricketts won more votes in the election for governor. <laughs> right? <laughs> They're just reporting the facts. I mean, give me a goddamn break. people! First of all, how comic fans got so self-important that they even think that they could have the power to put together an electronic petition <laughs> that would shut down the most popular movie reviewing site on the web. Blows Which, by my the way, mind. I believe is owned by Warner Brothers. Blows my friggin' <laughs> mind. This is not quote unquote comic book fans. This is a couple of loud right. assholes right. that idiots. You're right. And of course, we're giving them attention because it's so outrageous. Of course. Shut down a review. Shut down a website because they just aggregate data. Well, they claimed bias. Oh, bias. They claimed it's, bias. Rotten Tomatoes is owned by Time Warner. Okay. You idiots. Yeah, okay. And the bias would be that what? They felt the movie was bad <laughs> and they're only allowed to feel it was good. Right. I guess I'm biased because the movie sucked and oh, that right, is right, why right. it is at 22 right, 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 right. percent that's a whole different conversation that we're not getting into <laughs> this guy in england with his lawsuit and his mild cheese somebody actually you said your lawsuit and your mild cheese somebody actually said in the same breath that they were reporting this nonsense that he might have an actual case because it's the laws true. there is like a specific in England about set of false laws. advertising are very strict. Yes, I, and I heard about this. Uh, Bill Simmons was actually talking about it on his podcast. They are very strict. He also pointed out that Transformers fans don't throw a fit and kick their feet and scream and cry when Transformers movies check in at 2% and make $180 million. Right. What do you want? Yeah. It's like Suicide Squad's the number one movie Optimus in the nation. Optimus Prime. You got to see Megan Fox's, you know, midriff. I mean, yeah. you're happy, right? Like this, this, this Suicide Squad movie has broken all sorts of records. $133 million, this piece of shit. 
made. Right. It, it's doing quite well. It, it made back its money yeah. very quickly. We're going to get more of it whether you like it or not. So right. shut up. So what do you care if anybody on the internet says it's bad? Yeah. It's bad. It Don't was go. bad. It was just bad. Like, it was it's barely not, a movie. It, it was... I thought it was better than Batman versus Superman. That's not saying much. And I don't totally agree. I think it was better than Batman versus Superman because at least it had some likable characters. Okay. It had some likable characters. Batman and Superman, while the story was terrible, had a story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. You got me there. Suicide Squad felt like 15 trailers crushed into one. It's like when you, it when did. you turn on a video game for the first time and you get like the 30 second, you know, action scene, action stuff, something blew up. That guy might be bad now start playing you're like what the f- was that <laughs> right, <laughs> right. it's true we're not going into we're, we've digressed into a review but yes this is crazy nonsense yes and mo- millennial horse <laughs> that's what it is please knock it off these things are entertainment meant to trigger the dopamine response in your brain so you forget about your terrible life yes for two hours yes would you just relax yes. unclench it's okay none of the reviewers took a crap on your harley quinn okay like she's gonna be fine you're gonna see her plastered over everything shut up all right self-important cry babies that is it <laughs> <laughs> for this week's big news. We only had the strength to do two stories. <laughs> we did a lot of yelling. If you want to talk about these stories or everything you think we missed, hit us up on the Two-Headed Nerd forums where we're spouting our own self-important crybaby bullshit about how upset we get, just like everybody else. We all have knees. We all jerk them. You know how it goes. Every Sunday, my favorite knee-jerk crybaby millennial, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week in everyone's favorite digital nerd sanctuary, the Teach and Forums. Joe Patrick, it is my understanding the mole men that raided the ziggurat destroyed <laughs> the question of the week annals. And uh, we had got to start all over the whole new damn question. Yes, yes. Uh, our, our records sadly were lost in the mole men invasion. And so we're starting fresh with a new question of the week. All right. This week's question comes from me and from you hey us me we've been gone a while and we've really missed you guys so we want to know what you got up to during the thn hiatus did you take a break from comics and catch up on your novel reading did you binge watch an exceptionally good show that you want to discuss did you sit on the toilet the entire time you did you pick up a new video game that you want to talk about or a board game or whatever what'd you guys do even if it it, comic related not comic related what did you do while we were on break what fun things did you get into while yeah. we were on break? I don't want to hear about your like yeah, yeah, yeah. bowel surgery. I got a divorce from my bitch wife. You know, like, <laughs> eh, no thanks. Uh, you, know. you have until 5 p.m. Central Standard Time this coming Friday, August 19th, to get us your answer. You can call the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. Leave your message there. If you've come back from your sabbatical with a renewed sense of responsibility, hey. you can send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com join the mp3 crew we still have jean jackets the mole men did not find them we have a surprisingly large pile of them actually (laughs) we gotta get rid of these things whatever you do you've got two minutes to get it done matt will cut you off you know the drill if you need more time go to the thn web forms we have a question of the week section there's a lot of great discussion there 
I think those dudes have done a great job they keeping have. the forums they alive have. in we, our absence. We brushed off the uh, cobwebs. We got rid of all the uh, pornography and weird Chinese advertisements. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of ads for AsiaDate.com. Yeah. Which, I mean, if you're for not, some it's, reason. It's cool, you know. Hey. Asian guys are cute. I'm into it, you yeah. know. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then you can tune in next Thursday. That's a week from Thursday. To hear you and your fellow listeners on the THN Answer of the Week podcast, the grand return of the greatest show on the internet. It's review time in the Ziggurat, where Joe and I continue to ignore the Olympics to talk about two of this week's superhero funny books. Joe, tell the nerds if your main review deserves a gold medal or not. I have to confess, it probably does not because I almost forgot how to write reviews. <laughs> but I'm going to make a go of it. I am reviewing Deathstroke Rebirth number one from DC Comics, written by Christopher Priest, with art by Carlo Pagulian and Jason Paz. Pagulian. <laughs> with colors by Jeremy Cox. It's 32 pages for the low, low price of $2.99. Here's your solicit. A thousand enemies, a thousand kills. Deathstroke is the world's greatest assassin. Stalked by an unseen foe, Slade Wilson is confronted by his own troubled past and challenged to reinvent himself before he loses everything and everyone in his life. Can Deathstroke be redeemed or will his addiction to violence destroy him? I didn't know he was necessarily addicted to violence. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's like he's got to have violence. <laughs> That's a responsibility. <laughs> he doesn't just want violence. He needs <laughs> yeah. violence. <laughs> Look, I don't really care about Deathstroke. I don't either. Like at all. I don't either. I thought he was kind of cool in the 80s with his slick costume and his neat backstory. Yeah, for like five minutes. Weird underage romance with Tara aside. Because she was like 14. underage, yeah. But like every publisher did with any character even remotely cool from the 80s or 90s, DC couldn't resist the urge to overuse him. Next thing you know, we've got Rob Liefeld creating a vastly more popular parody version, then coming back to DC 20 years later to tank the original during the new 52. Breathstroke. Breathstroke. Yeah. Everybody loves Breathstroke. <laughs> that is what we're talking about. Yeah, right. Breathstroke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. But Breathstroke has somehow persisted limping along from series to series until now. <laughs> you realize you just said Breathstroke. <laughs> yeah, I know. I did that on purpose. Okay. Christopher Priest is one of my all-time favorite comic book writers. Mine too, mine too. From his DC and Marvel work in the 80s and 90s, to his epic run on Black Panther, to his indie comedy Quantum and Woody, I have been a fan for decades. Even when he changed from one name to another, he yeah, used to be yeah. James Owlsley yeah. in the 80s, and then he changed his name to Christopher Priest. I don't know. Yeah, there's, I'm sure there's a reason. Weird. Priest has been out of the comic game for a number of years now, so when DC announced that he would be returning to write Deathstroke, I took interest. If anyone can make me care about Slade Wilson, it's Christopher Priest. And if he can't do it, then burn them all, because why even bother? Priest doesn't shy away from the fact that Slade is a very bad person. This isn't a story about an anti-hero. Deathstroke is a villain, plain and simple. But he's also a complex character with complex motivations. Priest strips away a lot of the baggage that the character was saddled with in his last two series. Uh, there was even that a throwaway line where they make reference to like getting past his uh, black hair phase or whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> where he got over that whole. Yeah. 
like his super macho, like, I'm a bad guy that does bad crap. Deal with it. You know, like, oh, God. We're left with a back to basics death stroke, an assassin for hire, awful father, terrible friend. Priest hasn't lost a step in his time away from the industry. His dialogue is sharp. And I love the way he paces a story. They even bring back the white text on black background transitions that he's known for. And I love it. That's one of my favorite. Yeah. You know devices. what? I forgot about that. Yeah. They did it. They sort of did it in All-Star Batman. Yeah. Uh, with the uh, miles that they traveled. We'll get to that later. Oh, man. I wasn't so sure about the art at first. Pagulian is fine. I, I, he's a good artist. See, I really like him. I, I think he's a good artist, but I think that his style, it doesn't stand out to me. You know, I, it's it's good. I guess I just always and thought I of him as it. one of those workhorses that yeah. like gets it done. Gets it out. I, I just usually don't find it too exciting. But okay. but there it was a sequence toward the end where Slade infiltrates the stronghold of an yeah. African warlord. He's barefoot for some reason. Oh, because um, oh, there's a reason why he's barefoot. Yeah, he's barefoot. His mask is off and he's got a knife in his teeth. Yeah. And he silently works through this encampment and ends everybody. Yeah, just, it's awesome. Destroys them. It was, it awesome. was really beautiful. If I'm being honest here. I'm so much more excited about the return of Christopher Priest than I am the launch of another Deathstroke title. He could have written anything and I would have made it my pick of the week. But Priest has risen to the challenge of taking a character I couldn't care less about and making him interesting. I would say so far so good. I'm intrigued by the story that this prelude sets up and I'm excited to see where it goes once the series launches. Yeah. This is Deathstroke Rebirth one shot. The special. Yes. I'm giving it a buy it. I'm giving it a buy it too. And it's not just because I also love Christopher Priest. I think Deathstroke is a very challenging character and one that I would argue doesn't need a series. I agree. Let him show up and be a badass every once in a while. And that's a Deathstroke I liked. Priest, I think, is coming at this very much the same way that Jeff Johns went at Sinestro during his run on Green Lantern back in the day, where we took a very one sided bad guy. Sinestro, purple face, used to be a Green Lantern. Now he's a dick, you know, and that's just all the Sinestro we've ever known and made him very complex. Like he was doing things for a reason. He was right about a lot of this stuff. And it seems like they're fleshing that out with Deathstroke a little bit. Not that he's going to be a good guy or be redeemed, but there's a reason why he does this stuff. Not like the last series, which opened with him in like a huge fast and furious car chase, saying a bunch of one liners. And like it just wasn't there some nonsense about he had become how he had become like the god of assassins or something at some point yeah like they were worshiping him and everybody wanted to kill him because that's how they worship their god like, to be like, fair we did not read these books oh. we only glanced at them when they came out but this made me care about the character yeah. in a way that i have not in it made him complex years it made him interesting to read and you can do that with any character any even the lamest character can be made great and i think this is going to be a lot of fun i like peggy Land. i love priest and I'm, I'm excited to read more deathstroke Never thought I'd say that out loud. There you go. Okay. So, Matt, we've got another super title on the stands. We do. Here's something else I thought I would never say out loud. Superwoman, number one, from DC, written and drawn by Phil Jimenez, with some art help by Matt Santarelli. He did some inking and some colors, I think. With a kick-ass variant by Terry Dodson, but do not pay more than cover for it, because retailers could order that variant normally, and a lot of them are trying to upcharge for it, okay? Watch these jerks. 32 pages for $3.99. When DC first announced his title, I admit I neither needed nor even thought I wanted a Lois with superpowers story. I don't care about superpowered Lois. All right. 
The same way I don't care like, about Franklin Richards. I like Lois Lane. <laughs> I love Lois Lane. I like Lois Lane as Lois Lane. I don't need her with superpowers. Right. We've seen Lois with powers plenty of times, and I never cared. Sure, Frank quietly made her look amazing in All-Star Superman, but I'm not sure that story even counts. It doesn't count. Little did I know there was much more going on here. The first thing that grabbed me was the joy that writer and artist Phil Jimenez injected into both the art, the characters, and the story. I've been a huge fan of Jimenez's art for years and honestly thought maybe his best work was behind him. But this first issue looked stunning. I'm not going to go into any spoiler territory here. And there are some big spoilers to get into. But I will say this script caught me completely off guard. I don't know if I just wasn't paying attention because I've been busy working and whatnot, but I had no idea what was going to go on in this comic book. No, 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 no. Nobody did. And in fact, there is a contingent of readers online that are pretty pissed about it of course they are because just like with captain america number one right they've never read a comic before and they don't know how cliffhangers right exactly (laughs) the dialogue was snappy and pitch perfect i loved the way he wrote lex and i love the relationship developing here between lois and lana yeah i don't think it's a spoiler to say that lana lang is a supporting character in this book or not even a supporting character she is almost a co-lead because she is like she is Lois's um, Alfred, so to speak, for kind lack of. of a better. And I will say, I've never given a crap about Lana Lang. She's never done anything for They've me. They've done a lot with her in the New 52 to make her they into an interesting character have definitely on her own. lifted her. She's a scientist. Yeah. Like, this is all new stuff that they've added yes. to her character. Before, before Lana was she just, just like. she just followed Superman around like yeah, a puppy. The girl that Superman dumped. Right. <laughs> Basically. And I just, I thought that the interplay between Lois and Lana was, was really great. Yeah. By the way, speaking of Superman, he is nowhere near this book, and I didn't miss him for a second. This felt like a Superman title, and one that I have been missing. I take it all back. I love Super Lois, and I have to applaud Jimenez for surprising an old geezer like me. Uh, it's Jimenez. Super, <laughs> shut up. Superwoman 1 gets a huge buy-it for Agreed. Me. I always get a little worried when they say, the, right, the artist is also going to be the writer, yeah. and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. <laughs> But this was great. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. Like, don't get me wrong. It's not earth shattering. It's not going to, you know, win any best of the year awards or anything like that. But it was a solid superhero title with two kick ass female leads. And maybe we are a little jaded because Superman has been so the Superman. You has been so watered down for a long time. But maybe this just felt like the fun Superman stuff that I remembered enjoying, like in the 90s and yeah. the early 2000s. I, I am really loving the all of the Superman titles right yeah. now. Uh, the Pete Tomasi and Patrick Gleason's Superman and Dan Jurgens and Patrick Zercher's action comics. I had not read any of the action comics until I read this and I saw Lex being Lex and yeah. in the Lex suit. And I was like, well, now I got to go read action and action's great. Yeah, they're all they're all really good. And yeah. this is a great addition. It's fun. You know, there's stakes, but there's still like a lighthearted yeah. adventure tone. The art is gorgeous. It's a huge bite. It was really good. That's really super, super girl. I'll be up a second spot. So that is a double buy it for both Deathstroke Rebirth number one and Superwoman number one. Now it's time for you one-eyed assassins and intrepid flying reporters to play critic. So head over to thnforums.boards.net and tell us what you thought of this week's comics.
that might be our outtake right there. <laughs> Joe, look at us. It's been just over six weeks, and we look terrible. We're flabby. We're out of shape. We're pathetic weenie men. That's why I brought Wildcat into the Ziggurat Gym to whip our fat asses back into shape while we review 10 more of this week's comics faster than we'll do anyone any good during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed, go! Labyrinth 30th Anniversary Special from Boom. Have you been clamoring for comics set in the world of Jim Henson's bizarre tale of a selfish 16-year-old girl whose baby brother gets kidnapped by David Bowie? Yeah. Yeah, me neither. Look, <laughs> Labyrinth sucked. It sucked 30 years ago, and it still sucks hey, 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 today. Labyrinth is cool. Labyrinth sucked. I love Jim Henson. I love the Muppets, and I love the Dark Crystal, mainly because it didn't suck like Labyrinth. So, is this comic beautiful to look at? Yes. Everyone that worked on the vignettes did a wonderful job. But this comic reprinted the entire free comic book day giveaway, which was five of the seven stories. Are you kidding? Five of the seven stories oh are my reprinted. God. And this comic comes with a $10 price tag. What? This was fine at best, but it is only for diehard Labyrinth fans that just want to throw money at it. They're even if they're even out there. I'm giving this a leave it. Oh boy. I went from skim it to leave it because that price tag pisses me off, man. All-Star Batman, number one from DC. Scott Snyder is back in the Bat family and he's brought the immense talent of artists John Romita Jr., Danny Mickey, Dean White, Declan Shalvey, and Jordi Belair with them. That is quite a squad. Yeah. No more long epics that overstay their welcome. This is the slam bang superhero big rig road trip adventure comic that I didn't even know I wanted. It's Batman with a wink and a smile, and I loved every second of it. It doesn't hurt that this book is visually stunning. Different inker on John Romita Jr. Yes. The, the colors by Dean White in that lead story are beautiful. This is the best John Romita Jr. has looked in years. I don't want to get too crazy here, but this might be my favorite Rebirth title so far. Okay, I'm not going that far. What's your favorite Rebirth title then? I don't know, but it's not this. Okay. <laughs> you know what? You know what? It's Detective right now. Yeah, I do. It is Detective. And somebody online it said- is hands down Detective Detective comic. is the best X book that's being put out right it's now, It's so too. good. <laughs> Anyways. Like, yeah, it is. <laughs> All-Star Batman is definitely a buy it. Look, I'm just going to say this. I hate the way Scott Snyder treats Alfred. Hate it. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely got some... I hate it. Yeah. Leave Alfred alone. Yeah. Blue Hour, number one from Action Lab. After a resource war on Earth, a group of colonists decide to pack up and head to an alien planet orbiting a binary star. We meet a lot of characters very quickly in between obligatory bar fights. I think there's three of them by my count, or maybe one extended Three fight. bar fights? Yeah. <laughs> Plenty of dialogue here, but not much action and not enough to set up what the hell is going on or get me to come back and see what happens when the yellow star sets and the sinister blue star makes aliens do bad stuff and things or something skim it <laughs> the flintstones number two from dc mark russell writer of the late lamented prez series which dc has reneged on their promise to publish the second half yeah they were like nope sorry but they're gonna put out a prez special in the fall for yeah, the election i don't know whatever it, it, i mean maybe it's him maybe he's done with it i, I don't doubt know. it i doubt it mark russell is teaming with artist steve pugue for what may be my favorite title in dc's bizarre hanna-barbera reboot i think it's pug huh pug huh 
don't get me wrong, Future Quest is amazing. It's the best. But Russell and Pug are delivering some unexpectedly biting and hilarious satire of modern life filtered through the lens of prehistoric cartoon characters. Let's call him Pudge. Pudge. (laughs) This book is outstanding, and I can't believe it exists. The Flintstones buy this book. It's awesome. It's so good. (laughs) Black Monday Murders number one from Image. It was only a matter of time before writer Jonathan Hickman used his weird charts and graphs to tell the story of what if the world's banking cartels were controlled by evil magicians or Satan worshippers or something. If you thought Hickman's Avengers was weird, well, it seems you ain't seen nothing yet. Tom Coker's art is outstanding here, but it's hard to get into any rhythm with the story constantly being interrupted by Hickman's pie graphs and typewriter history. I like the idea. I like the style and design here is very brave and very slick, but there was almost too much style interrupting the substance. Black Money Murders is intensely intelligent and high concept comic work as we've come to expect it from Hickman, but for now, I can only give it a skim it. It's part of the reason why I never sat down and read the nightly news because there was so much design. Yeah, it gets a little bogged like, down. I just had a hard time focusing it's on excellent. the story. It really is excellent, yeah. but it's just bogged down in its own excellence. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's Betty too and, excellent. It's too excellent. Sorry. Failure. Betty and Veronica, number one from Archie. Who better to tell the modern day adventures of America's beloved teenage BFFs than old Beardo Adam Hughes? This whole thing reads like that scene from 30 Rock where Steve Buscemi goes undercover at the high school. (laughs) How do you do, fellow teens? (laughs) There's an inexplicable two-page sequence where Jughead's dog, who is obviously the story's narrator, describes how he ate Hughes' art pages and then has Betty and Veronica describe what would have been happening in the comic while wearing bathing suits. What? It's a baffling misstep. So he should have just gone straight to like torrid lesbian love affair. I mean, <laughs> like screw it, take it away. I mean, it's, t- it's tame for Adam Hughes, but okay. you get to the middle of the comic and you're like, what the f- is going on? What? Two blank white pages, one with a picture of a doghouse and one with a little picture of Betty and Veronica in bikinis and then walls of text while they describe what would have been going on if Adam Hughes had been bothered to actually draw the thing. Dumb. Yeah. There are two dozen variant covers shown at the end, drawn by an amazing array of up-and-coming and and established artists, and most of them would have been a better fit for what a modern relaunch of this series should have been. This book's saving grace is that Hughes draws it as well, with colorist Jose Villarubia, so it looks gorgeous. But I'm giving Betty and Veronica a skimmit, because it's not that the book is bad, really. It's that Hughes is absolutely the wrong fit for it, but at least it looks pretty. That sure sounded like a leave it to me. Ninjak number 18 from Valiant. The story is taking a little breath here. Well, a breath for Ninjak standards, I guess. To show the future team-up of the Eternal Warrior and Ninjak searching for one of his old training buddies, Fakir. As usual, the Eternal Warrior handles his obstacles like a wrecking ball with an axe and a machine gun, while Ninjak takes a more pointed approach. Matt Kent's time-jumping story has just been great, and Kari Evans' art just gets better every time I see it. This is not a jumping-on point by any means, but I didn't expect this side story to be so good. 
I love the Eternal Warrior and Ninjak team-ups, and this one did not disappoint. If you love continuity, if you love great art, and if you love excellent comic booking, period, you should be reading everything at Valiant. Ninjak 18 gets a buyer. Kill or be killed, number one from Image. Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips are back at it again, doing what they do best, telling absolutely brutal stories full of tragic, damaged characters. This time, we follow the story of Dylan, a two-time survivor of suicide attempts, compelled to kill criminals for reasons that you should definitely read the book to discover. Because it took a twist I was not expecting, because I didn't know anything about this book going into it. Uh Uh-huh. Elizabeth Brightweiser contributes color art that makes Phillips's already outstanding work absolutely shine. These guys seem to step up their game with each new collaboration and Kill or Be Killed is definitely continuing that tradition. Buy it! Sons of Anarchy, Redwood Original, number one from Boom! This is the story of young Jax Teller, the hunky star of the show, played by the hunky Charlie Hunnam. Fans of the show will feel... I'm not that into him. He's so hot! Fans of the show will feel perfectly at home here with writer Ollie Masters' super macho dialogue and violent story. Luca Pizzari does a fantastic job on art with his hard-lined Edward Rizzo 100 Bullets style. Truthfully, I would rather read the story of Jack's dad, whose death steered the entire show that I loved so much, but this was a very solid read. Probably only for fans of Sons of Anarchy, but Redwood Original gets a buy it from me. Mycroft Holmes and the Apocalypse Handbook, number one from Titan. If I were to tell you that NBA legend Kareem Abdul-Jabbar had written a comic book, what would you say? That guy can do anything he wants. What if I told you that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar had written a comic book and it's actually kind of awesome? I figured. We reported on this a while ago. Sherlock's smarter brother is the star of this mystery set during their college years. The book is co-written by Raymond Obstfeld with art by Joshua Cassara, who reminded me a lot of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s Dustin Weaver. Danger, intrigue, hot Victorian action. Damn. This was a ton of fun. Are there ladies showing ankles in this one? Um, <laughs> I will That's say. That's my idea, hot Victorian action. <laughs> I will say that there is sort of a gratuitous uh, bit of nudity. Oh. Like actual nudity. Like full frontal Mycroft? Yeah, full front. He goes full Mycroft. How big's his hog? <laughs> it's huge. <laughs> Elementary, my dear Matt. <laughs> Minecraft Holmes gets a buy it. Crunch with a K. That is your ludicrous speed round. And crunch with a K is the sound of Jax Teller getting kicked to the mommy daddy button by a bro as seen in this week's Sons of Anarchy Redwood Original. We just reviewed it. I liked it. If you want even more reviews of this week's comics, head over to nerd.com and check out the sometimes risque findings of Aaron Myers, Scourge of the West Coast Dollar Bins, Ludicrous Speed Reviews. You know, that guy didn't take no hiatus. No, he didn't. He's always working. This week in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, we've got quite the mess to clean up. It's disgusting. It seems that while we were gone, an adventurous group of those partying mole men went and got themselves devoured by demonic forces while ransacking the Sanctum's arcane scroll collection. That'll teach them. Sons of bitches. Matt, while I sweep up these crumbled brimstone corpses, why don't you tell the nerds about your must-read pick for next week? My pick for next week is Briggsland, number one from Dark Horse. It's written by Brian Wood, and yes, every time Brian Wood writes a new series, I am going to pick it. With art by Mac Chatter, who has my new 
favorite comic yeah. book name. Matt Chatter. <laughs> 30... <laughs> you destroyed a city block, Chatter. At least I got results. You're Chatter. a hothead, Chatter. <laughs> 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. Briggsland, nearly 100 square miles of rural wilderness, contains the largest anti-government secessionist movement in the United States. When matriarch Grace Briggs wrests control of the operation from her incarcerated husband, she sparks a war within the community and her immediate family that threatens to bring the full power of the federal government down on their heads. Perfect for fans of Sons of Anarchy, that's me. And Justified, also me. And it's in development for an AMC television show, exclamation point. Ah, uh, man, are you sure this isn't just like a sympathetic biography of those idiots yeah. that took over that government building? I don't, I, I think it's going to be more than that. Brian Wood is really, really good at this stuff. Yeah, it's really, true. really good at this stuff. Also, he is super liberal. And so. I've never heard of Mac Chatter, but the preview art looks great. I'm excited for this. All right. Love Brian Wood's sort of real world sociopolitical commentary. It's excellent. Joe Patrick. On the opposite end of the spectrum, what are you excited for? <laughs> Super f***ers forever! Number one from IDW, written and illustrated by James Kolchalka and Teen Dogs, Jake Lawrence. Oh man, what more could you ask for? Here's your solicit. The Super f***ers are back in their first ever monthly comic book series. James Kolchalka's lovably profane heroes return in Super f*** forever, an event series like no other. Uh, bullet points... Backup stories by acclaimed indie creators in every issue. First up, Jake Lawrence. Love him. I love. Love him. Creator of Thug Pug. Creator of Thug Pug. <laughs> you can have variant covers by acclaimed creators like Ryan Otley, Invincible's Ryan Otley, and his cover to the first issue of this comic book is amazing. I love the Super F***ers uh, little mini graphic novels that they put out. It was sort of a series, but they were kind of thick, right? They were like square yeah. bound and then they were thicker. Yeah. It's basically James Kachalka's filthy superhero adventures. Right. But this is the first time it's at IDW. Well, yeah, it was top. They were top shelf, yeah. I believe, before because they were like graphic novellas. Right. Uh, this is an actual monthly comic from IDW. I'm excited. I love James Kachalka. I love the super. F***ers. This is a great way to waste $3.99. Absolutely. <laughs> I love Jake Lawrence and I am excited for more from him. Please bring back Teen. Please. Please bring back Teen Dog. Please bring back Teen Dog. The THN Trade of the Week goes to Tumor, the hardcover, from Oni Press, written by Joshua Hale Fielkov, art by Noel Tuazan. 248 pages. Guess how much it costs? I don't know, like 40 bucks? Uh, it's $19.99! What a deal! I know, that's half off for you. Private investigator Frank Armstrong barely scrapes by in the Los Angeles underbelly until the big one hits his desk. Locate and retrieve the daughter of a drug kingpin. <laughs> and he can finally... That sentence was so confusing. I know, right? And the following sentence is fucking me up, too. Locate and retrieve the daughter of a drug kingpin, and he can finally afford more than $1 meatloaf. Unfortunately, the job offer arrives just as the symptoms of his fatal late-stage brain tumor intensify. Brutal bummer. Yeah. Frank must find the target and keep her safe while time collapses. Family turns into foe and the specter of his murdered wife resurfaces in the eyes of a mobster's daughter. There's a lot going on. Sounds here. intense, man. Good God. I'm into it, though. I love Fieldcov and I feel like that dude doesn't get enough work. Yeah, I'm, he I'm doesn't. I don't get it. I like I like him a lot. And this looks pretty slick. Uh, 20 bucks for a 200. 50 page hardcover damn yeah crime noir meets cancer what more could you ask for boy we just sold the out of that one didn't wow we? man <laughs> uh you can send royal cheek checks to 
Jesus, these mole men sure do crap a lot when they're scared. Ah, peeps, don't eat that! Ugh. While we scoop up the rest of these mole men bodies and feces, everywhere feces. Oh, God. Why don't you nerds head to the THN forums and let us know what you're excited to read next week. Folks, now it's time to welcome you to the all-new, all-different Axe-a-Nerd, where Joe and I are asking the questions this time, and the one and only Christopher Sabella finds himself in the hot seat. Sabella is the Eisner-nominated writer of High Crimes from Monkey Brain. Editor's note, you can hear Joe and Matt's review of High Crimes on THN episode 217. Screamland from Image and Dead Letters from Boom Studios, as well as the kickstarted nightmare, I Lived in a Clown Motel. <laughs> Forgot about that. A self-published account of his month-long stay in Tonopah, Nevada's infamous Clown Motel. It's exactly what it sounds like. More recently, Chris has had a pair of critical hits with Welcome Back for Boom Studios and Heartthrob, published by Oni Press. I think we agreed it was Hearthrob. Hearthrob. Yes. Sabella's new series, Demonic, launches Wednesday, August 17th. That's this Wednesday. From Robert Kirkman's Skybound imprint at Image Comics. Chris, welcome back to the Ziggurat. How have you been? I've been good. How have you guys been? Eh. <laughs> yeah, let's not go. <laughs> you know, it's been a challenging six weeks. You have had quite a year, it seems. You've spent some time in the Clown Motel. You've got reincarnated assassins, ghost romance, period capers. What's, mm -hmm. what's keeping you busy right this minute? Uh, right this minute, I am writing uh, a book that uh, has not been announced yet, that Jonathan Brandon Sawyer is drawing. Uh, oh. Break the news. Break the news. No, no, no. Oh. He's got he's to do the... <laughs> Nobody ever breaks no, no. news I'll on this show. Guys, I'll give you an exclusive, a <laughs> sexy exclusive. Hey! Uh, we're doing a, a book for Stila that... Uh, yeah. are, are you guys familiar with Stila at all? Yeah, the, yes, uh, we the reported digital, on it. The digital app. Editor's note. Joe and Matt discussed Stila back on THN episode 245. So yeah, we uh, this is actually a project that we uh, started talking about while I was staying at the Clown Motel. Um, <laughs> And we quickly got greenlit while I was staying there. I've been describing it as a, our version. It's like a grindhouse version of Thelma and Louise. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, Thelma's a vampire and uh, Louise is the leader of an apocalypse cult. See, I think Sarandon's character would have been helped a lot had she been a vampire, honestly. I think so, yeah. Yeah, you know. <laughs> it would have made that a lot more interesting. <laughs> Jonathan Brandon Sawyer was your original artist on Welcome Back, right? Correct. That's awesome. Uh, He's great. So you guys are still buddies. So yeah, you didn't yeah. like fire him or anything. You're still buddies. Oh yeah, no, we're we're uh, tight as ticks. So gross. Uh, I am working on the second arc of that right now. Um, nice. What else? Well, next uh, week we want to talk about demonic, which comes out next oh, Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. So what is demonic? What's what's the premise? Set it up for us. So it's a it's an original Robert Kirkman concept uh, that I was hired to come in and write. Uh, but the, the gist of it is that it's about a, uh, a New York City cop who has made a, uh, a deal with a demon who lives inside him. 
uh, where he has to go out and kill for her every night in order to keep his family safe and alive. It all kind of ties back into this dude's uh, long ago past, and there's a lot of blood and fighting and weird deep mysteries. And yeah, uh, the preview was really creepy. I gotta say, super oh, creepy yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's all vaguely sort of unsettling. Yeah, it was my chance to really my first sort of chance in comics to really kind of go nuts and like I would write things as sort of uh, gruesome as I could. And send it in and be like, oh, they're certainly, they're going to say no. <laughs> and every time they were like, nope, looks good to us. Or they were like, ah, could you go a little more gruesome? Maybe? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just kept like, uh, there's there's that story about when Martin Scorsese made Casino that he was fighting with the, uh, you know, the review board. So he, he put in the scene where he puts a dude's head in a vice. Yeah. And the dude's eye pops out and he was like, oh, I'm just going to put that in there because they'll tell me to cut it. And then they won't tell me to cut something else. And they never told him to cut it. So <laughs> so then he had a scene with a dude with uh, his eye getting popped out. Uh, and that's basically how I feel about this book is like every time was like. Uh, if I just push this part, then they won't notice this other part. And they're like, <laughs> oh, we like it all. Like, keep, give us more. So Kirkman is a total sicko, too, is what you're saying. Uh, yeah, he certainly, uh, co-signed, uh, uh, all my, uh, <laughs> it was, a, it was a known property that he was getting is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So who approached who? how does this work? Did he come to you and say, oh, Sabella, you're a sicko. Can you write this? Or I mean, how does this work? Yeah. My editor, Sean Makowitz, he approached me. It was basically like a month after the first issue of High Crimes came out, which was back in early 2013. Yeah, I mean, they were kind of the first uh, uh, company that like offered me something on the back of High Crimes. Oh, which, wow. So this is a while yeah. ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, like I, I don't know, that book was such a Hail Mary. I, I never expected anything to happen. And then as soon as it came out, then, yeah, I got an email in my inbox from Sean saying like, Hey, I'm from Skybound. We wanted to talk about some stuff. And I was like, what? Uh, <laughs> wow, that's cool. <laughs> so, yeah. And, uh, they, you know, uh, Kirkman had done this thing called pilot season back in like 2009. Yeah, I remember those. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, they ran it down for me and they gave me a couple of options of books that I could work on. And yeah, as soon as I read the first issue of Demonic and kind of figured out where I saw it going. Uh, I was like, yeah, I'm totally on board. So, so you talked a little bit about, you know, the process working with those guys and whether or not you think they're going to push back against you and, and that sort of thing. But in terms of the actual process for you, is it more or less, you know, nerve wracking or time consuming to work on a project like this where you're work working for hire versus something that you've created on your own? creator owns always more nerve wracking um for me at least uh at least with like work for hire you you're walking into something where they have expectations and they have an idea of where they want stuff to go and there's a lot more i don't know give and take with that like uh whereas with like something that i've just come up with completely on my own there's just so much dithering and back and forth uh and 
you know, it's like I'm not I'm not working with an editor and uh, a fellow creator. It's like I'm just sitting in my living room trying to figure out like does this freaking suck? out basically <laughs> yeah constantly freaking out yeah. like uh, am i going down the wrong road uh is anybody gonna care about this and i guess um, if the other book sucks you can just be like hey not my fault that guy came up with it you know screw him <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's a possible deniability i never liked kirkman that guy's an asshole you know <laughs> uh, so yeah um yeah, I don't know. I, I always find work for higher stuff like uh, a lot more um, easy, uh, at least psychically. So you're OK. You're a huge horror guy. Everything mm-hmm. I read about you, you're always talking about horror. And when you were a kid watching a bunch of horror movies, what is the seminal horror movie that made Christopher Sabella the terrifying human being that he is today? Uh I don't know. I, I, I specifically remember one night me and a friend of mine uh watched a double feature of it was friday the 13th part two okay and blood beach um (laughs) wow uh that's like yeah i mean that's like a thing i remember i remember very vividly like watching that with my friend and thinking like we shouldn't be doing this um and that I wanted to do a lot more of it. So. <laughs> oh man! See, I when I whenever I watched horror movies as a kid that I knew that I probably shouldn't be watching, I had the absolute opposite reaction. I was like, "This is ruining me for life." That's I never want to see this again. <laughs> you were that Kentucky Fried movie where they had like the fake horror movie, and they're like they the whole <laughs> building was like it'll. F- you up for life and then like the news reporter walks up to the guy in line and goes sir why do you want to see this movie and the guy goes i want to get f-ed up for life <laughs> yeah yeah pretty much it's basically um, what you're saying happened to you <laughs> i don't get yeah it. but you know like i it, yeah i don't know like uh, i remember as a little little kid um i remember my mom watching the original halloween on tv oh yeah and the the theme music to halloween like I didn't know anything about Halloween. I just knew that bad things happened to people and involving knives and, and the, just like <laughs> just hearing the the theme music for Halloween freaked me out so hard that like I would have to like bury my head under a pillow in, in another room. That's John Carpenter, uh-huh. man. He wrote scary music. Oh, the same thing happens yeah. to me when I hear Nightmare on My Street by uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. That is a terrifying song. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, I think, I don't know, I think something about that, like, I was like, no, screw that. Like, I, I'm going to embrace this thing that, like, kind of vaguely terrifies me. So you got six issues planned for Demonic. Is there more in the can? Is there more ahead? What's going on? Uh, I think it all kind of depends on if people like it. Nobody's really said, but I, I think if it goes off gangbusters, we definitely have left it an open thing where we, we have the possibility to do more, but I'm not, you know, with all things comics, like I'm not banking on anything. I'm just happy that we got the six issues we have. Mm-hmm. And since it's at Skybound, it's already option for TV. Who's going to play the main character so we can start bitching about it immediately? You know what I mean? <laughs> Judd Hirsch. I love it. <laughs> See now that <laughs> that's a fantastic call. <laughs> that is that is very scary. That is Chris. Thank you for coming on the show. We appreciate it. We have been on hiatus for six weeks, and uh, 
So thanks for helping us ring in our grand return. Yeah, we appreciate you yeah. waiting for six weeks in the studio. That is really <laughs> nice of you, man. Seriously. It's cool. I appreciate you guys letting me smoke in here. Yeah, no yeah. problem. No problem. <laughs> All right, Chris. Thanks again. Have a great one. All right. You guys too. Editor's note. You can hear the full interview with Chris Sebella at the THN YouTube channel. Sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for the Back to Business 260th episode of THN. If you dig podcasts that make you wait almost two goddamn months for a new episode, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn, or anywhere quality podcasts are given away for free of the goodness of the creator's hearts. And when you download those podcasts, please leave us a little rating, a star rating, review, a thumb up, whatever they do there, because it totally helps us connect with other potential listeners, most of which have stopped updating this feed altogether because they thought we died. I'm kind of curious to see what will happen (laughs) in that regard. Four downloads this week. Wow. Thank you to all of our donors who didn't dump us during our extended vacation. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I meant hiatus. And to our latest sustaining donors. What an idiot. What was this guy thinking? (laughs) Ethan, who I may or may not have mentioned on our last show, but who can remember that far back? And Sean, a.k.a. our favorite Irish stony bro. Why so serious, brah? You can find him on Twitter. He's a fun dude. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Ethan and Sean. Seriously, we don't deserve it. Thank you, you guys. If you want to help support THN, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com, and I promise we will try to deserve it. To become a sustaining member, simply check the box that says, make this donation monthly when you send in your donation. Remember, as little as a buck a month really does help. It adds up. It helps us pay for fees, pay for equipment, pay for hosting, pay for weed. <laughs> if you're interested in sponsoring THN for your evil, nefarious business purposes. Sure, or perhaps your Trump campaign or whatever. Look, you know? we are not proud. We will make America great again oh, for yeah, you. Yeah. If for the right amount of money, you bet we will. At Real Donald Trump, <laughs> get at us on Twitter. We are at Two Headed Nerd. Yeah, your, your numbers have been hurt, man. Seriously. <laughs> you need the dozens of listeners we can provide. <laughs> Shoot us an email with the subject line sponsorship. If you want to get all up in our faces and yell at us personally, head over to twoheadednerd.com. You can find all the links to our vast array of social networking platforms like Periscope, like Twitter, like YouTube, where we haven't done for a long time, Facebook, Tumblr, where we post the outtake of the week. And more importantly, you can find the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. Use that number to play with us on the show. We didn't periscope this week's episode because we just were we were a little worried about just getting it done. Yeah, we're disheveled. We look terrible. We didn't want to see this. We promise we'll be back when we are sure we can handle it on a more regular basis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you dig the music you hear on the show, you can subscribe to our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Bum's Spotify profile. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to comic book power couple Jordi Belair and Declan Shalvey, who made it official by getting engaged this week. Mazel tov, you crazy kids. I'm afraid it's all downhill from here. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer just might leave you at the altar. This is the Two-Headed Nerd. Signing off. We're back. We did it. We're back, baby. Feels good.